Hola familia de Heritage. Hey Heritage family, I want to greet you wherever it is that you're joining us from. I'm here at the lobby of our Bentendorf campus and it reminds me that we are gathering in all kinds of different spaces in these days. Maybe you're joining us on TV where you get to enjoy the comforts of home and family nearby, joining thousands of others as they worship with us together. Perhaps you're joining us online, where you get to interact with pastors and give specific prayer requests and see people interacting throughout the service, a reminder that you are not alone as we press into these moments. Or you, maybe you're planning on joining us in space as well at our Rock Island campus, where we get the incredible opportunity to look each other eye to eye, to be together, and experience unique opportunities like communion, which we're participating in this weekend. The reality is wherever you are joining from, our prayer is that you would encounter the living God of the universe and that you would indeed connect with God and others and your purpose in unique ways, in whatever special ways, the way that you're connecting allows you to do that. We believe that the best is yet to come and we're expectant about what God is gonna do in and through the Heritage family, in and through these cities as we continue to chase after him together. So we invite you, be praying for the rest of your Heritage family. Be looking for ways that you can connect uniquely as we continue to love and serve our cities well. And if you haven't had a chance to join us in person in our Rock Island campus, we invite you to do that as soon as you possibly can. There's nothing quite like being together as we press in in these days. You know, in the very last book of the scriptures, we get two different pictures of who Jesus is. He is at once referred to as a lamb who looks as though he's been slain and as a mighty lion. And for some of us, it might be strange to picture God as either one of those things, much less as both of those things. The truth is, Jesus is who he says he is and that he is the one who has offered himself for us who's given himself away so that you and I could know unbroken connection with God, so that we could know fullness of relationship with others, and that we could experience the joy of living into our purpose. That's what Jesus has given us through his death on the cross, that lamb who looks like he's been slain. But the scriptures also remind us that he is a mighty and ferocious lion, one who is leading the way into something new and wonderful, who can't be stopped or overcome. You know, when we hear that, there are some of us who start to wonder if maybe God is against us in that same ferocious way. But because Jesus is the lamb who has been slain, we know that God is a lion fighting not against us, but on our behalf as we seek after the fullness of life that he made us for. So I want to invite you, no matter what you're facing today, no matter what the reality is in your space where you're joining us from, whether you need to connect with Jesus as the one who gave everything for you, or to be reminded that God is a God on the move, overcoming every obstacle that you would press in with us as we declare, as we sing, as we worship, and praise the lion and the lamb today.
Friends, I am so grateful that we have a Savior who is willing to give it all for us, for love. You know, we've been in a great conversation about Jonah. Um, and as we've leaned into it each week, and we're going to dive into it again this week, one of the things that is so great about Jonah's life is Jonah would get in trouble. He would be running from his relationship with God, and then immediately he would run into an obstacle, and then Jonah would find himself needing to go back to a familiar touchstone, um, a familiar place back where his relationship was right uh, with God. Um, and so we see him doing that. We see him doing that on the ship. We see him doing that when he's in the belly of the fish. And we're going to see him doing it again this week. And so, you know, the same is true for us. As we um, go through life, um, we may find ourselves in a space where we're like, man, I don't even know how to pray. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even remember what it looks like to feel connected to God. And so it's so important for us as Christ followers to have those touchstones that we can go back to and we can feel uh, reconnected to God. Um, Jesus, when he was here on earth, um, he gave us one of those great touchstones and we call it the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus taught his followers in that moment and teaches us today how to pray this prayer of connection, which acknowledges that God alone is holy and that as we experience relationship with God, we see glimpses of His kingdom coming around us. It talks about the forgiveness that we have um, in Jesus and that out of that forgiveness, we can forgive others. It is such a hopeful prayer. And so we're gonna pray that prayer together now. And as we do that, I pray that your heart would be encouraged, that you would feel connected to believers, um, not just now, but believers who for hundreds and hundreds of years have prayed this prayer as a way of reminding themselves about who they are and who, whose they are. Let's pray together, friends. As Jesus taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen, friends. So be it. Let's continue to hold on to Jesus with all that we are, with all that we have, with every breath within us. Let's praise Him together. Your innocent life paid the cost. 
Yes, all of 
Hey everybody. I'm just having a bit of a staring competition with my little buddy Finn, who's been helping us in our journey in Jonah. And unlike the fish in that story, he doesn't seem to want to do what I say or want to do what I want. And despite my best efforts to get his attention, to win a staring competition, I have discovered that I am incapable of doing so. I will never be able to beat him in a staring competition. Why, you ask? Well, besides the fact that he doesn't always want to seem to cooperate, is the reality that he doesn't have any eyelids. He doesn't blink. Goldfish don't have eyelids, so they don't blink. But we have eyelids as humans, and we blink. We blink literally, and we blink figuratively. We can lose focus. We can get distracted, and we can waver in our commitment, and we blink. And when we do, that can be problematic. We'll get back to Finn in a moment, but the, the story of Jonah is a fascinating story. For many, is familiar, but it has a number of surprises in it. It has the highest of highs for Jonah and the lowest of lows. And as we continue in our time today, again, we're going to see that pattern continuing for him in his particular journey by his own choices. Yet the ability to unpack his story has allowed us to consider where our attention is and who has it. It's also allowed us to understand that every earthly dynamic holds a divine opportunity. And it's positioned us to understand how God brings his power to bear in our circumstances, regardless of what they are, so that we can know how to encounter him in any dynamic and to trust him to lead us into new possibilities by his power, because he does give his power for his purpose. But here's the thing. He never gives his power for our purpose, just his. And we're going to see that today. So let's get back to the story of Jonah. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to go ahead and grab it. Turn towards the back of the Old Testament. And and you're looking for the book of Jonah, which kind of comes right after these books called Joel, Amos, and Obadiah. We're going to settle down into this story again, where we've already seen Jonah run from God, and we've seen Jonah return to God. And if you've missed the conversation to this point, you can go to heritageqc.com and catch up on the last couple weeks. But after spending 72 hours in a fish... Jonah is now on land with a renewed commitment to do what God asked him to do in the first place. And one of the beautiful realities about our God is he is a God of second chances, and he's giving Jonah that second chance. Having gone through chapter 1 and chapter 2, we're going to jump over chapter 3 and land in Jonah chapter 4. Not because chapter 3 is not important, but because 3 sets up 4. In chapter 3, God goes back to Jonah and says, hey, you need to go to Nineveh, but this time... Jonah says, okay, I will. He actually goes. And Nineveh is a huge city. It takes him three days to get through it. He, he tells the people of Nineveh what God told him to tell them, and they believe God. They turn back to him. Even the king of Nineveh does. And when God sees what they do, he relents. He doesn't destroy them. It's a beautiful moment of mercy and grace, but it's a moment that Jonah blinks. He blinks. Let's take a look at this. Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. That was that God forgave the Ninevites. And he became angry. Now, that's not just slightly upset. That is a, a hot anger. The Hebrew word literally means hot, and it's an intense, strong anger. And then in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. Now, 
praying to the Lord is just talking to God. And we can do it in healthy ways and we can do it in unhealthy ways. And Jonah's about to do it in an unhealthy way. Here's what he says. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What in the... Hold the phone. Jonah did what God wanted him to do. The Ninevites did what God invited them to do. And Jonah's disappointed. He's mad. He's furious. This is a crazy moment and dynamic. Uh, he, he, he actually steps in obedience and then he gets to this space of frustration. He, he's mad and he's going to pout in a few moments. And it seems ridiculous. Yet there's some clarity in what he says in what we just read because he gives some ex- explanation for why he ran in the first place. It wasn't because he was afraid to fail. It wasn't afraid because he thought he would be unsuccessful. It was because he was afraid he would be successful. He didn't want to succeed. He didn't want God to relent. And he's being really honest with God in this moment, but honesty is never an excuse for arrogance or pride. And Jonah, having been focused on God most recently and stepping in bold obedience, now steps into a space where he blinks. He blinks. Now, we already established that that Phineas doesn't blink, doesn't have any eyelids, so that's not part of his world. Do you want to know what else Phineas doesn't do? He doesn't leave his water. He doesn't blink, and I don't know if he knows he doesn't blink or not, but he doesn't leave his water, and he knows that. He knows that his water is a source of life. He knows that air leads to death if that's all he has, and to jump out of the bowl for Phineas is to leave his life-giving environment, and it will never go well. You know, when I was a kid, I had an aquarium with multiple fish in it, and one morning when I woke up, I came out and found a fish on the floor in front of the aquarium. I had inadvertently left the lid open that night and that fish decided to jump out of the water and landed on the floor. It was not a great choice on their part and it happened to be the last choice they ever made. Phineas does not blink, but the other thing he doesn't do is he doesn't abandon the environment he was created for. He doesn't abandon the thing he was created for, where he gets life, but you and I can, you and I do. And it's what Jonah does in his particular dynamic. And it never works out well. Let's go back to the scriptures and keep reading down through this because Jonah not only blinks in this moment, he is actually in a way sticking his head out of the water with a raised fist in the air and he's doing it defiantly. He's, it's, it's kind of an edge of the seat moment that God's going to respond to. So let's see what happens. Verse four, but the Lord replied, knock it off. You're not in charge here. I am. Oh, wait, that's not what he said. Hang on a second. Let's go back. Okay, there it is. He he asks a question. Is it right for you to be angry? God asks Jonah a question, which is fascinating to me because sometimes God asks to provide answers. He asks to give answers. And that's what he's doing in this space. He's actually giving Jonah a grace space, once again, for something more and something better, for for the divine opportunity in the moment that Jonah found himself in. He asks to answer, but there is no answer. There's actually crickets to his response because there's more to this story. If we look at this, verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I don't know what he thought might happen if 
there'd be some kind of change in the plan of the dynamic. It's almost like bizarro world or twilight zone. But fortunately for Jonah, God's not done with Jonah. Verse six, then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. I don't know about you. I don't know if your head's spinning yet in this back and forth, in and out dynamic that Jonah is demonstrating here. But at this point, he's essentially appointed himself king. He has made himself God in this dynamic. And that's never a good thing. Because hear this, when we evaluate God based on our preference instead of his character, we make ourselves God, not him. But when we evaluate what God does or doesn't do in any given circumstance based on our preference instead of his character, we make ourselves God and not him. And we're not God. You and I are not God. And if we choose to take a posture of disagreeing with God, we will find it never leads to happiness. It always leads to a lack of peace. It leads to a space of feeling unsettled. unsettled. Even if we think something is wrong or unfair in the dynamic, it leaves us in a space with a lack of peace. And when our disappointment in God leads us to defiance of God, we are not following Him. We are following ourselves. Let me say that again. When our disappointment in God leads us to defiance of God, we're no longer following Him. We're actually trying to be Him. That's what Jonah was doing. And he's doing a bang-up job. He blinked. He, he lost focus. He shifted his attention and he forgot who he was and what he'd been asked to do. And he decided along the way that he was going to abandon his life-giving environment and relationship with God. And he tries to define everything around him as if he himself was God. And he blinks and he jumps. It's quite the turn of events. But there's a lesson in it for us, a lesson for you and me as we navigate circumstances in this life. When we allow disappointment in God to lead us to defiance of God, we're no longer following Him. We're trying to be Him. We're making ourselves God. But He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. That's one thing that Jonah said that was fully true in this dynamic. Let's go back to this exchange because God is gracious. God is abounding in love. And in your circumstance, therefore, because of who he is, you don't have to blink. You don't have to jump in any crisis and any disappointment. Know that he loves you. And he wants to bring his power to bear in that dynamic. And he's about to bring his love to bear in the dynamic with Jonah once again. This is verse 9. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Again, he asks to provide an answer. Jonah says, it is, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. He blinks and he jumps. He's blinking and jumping in a cycle. And notice he's not saying, you know, life is so hard. It's filled with so much sorrow. Lord, I just want to be with you. Take me home. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm done. I quit. Release me. And it's not in desperation. It's in defiance. And as foolish as it is to run from a God who is everywhere, 
Jonah now tries to distance himself by death from the God who rules over life and death. But verse 10, the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? In four chapters, 48 verses, in a story about more, uh, more than 120,000 people, God pursues, he uses his power for his purpose, and when allowed, he rescues. He'll use anything to do that. A storm, a fish, a worm, wind, words, a plant, because he wants life. He values people. He cares about you and I, and he wants relationship with us, and he'll do anything to see that happen. He'll work in us, and sometimes he'll work in spite of us to see that reality in his life, in our lives. You know, Jonah, the ending here for him is a bit of a train wreck. He, he starts and ends in petulance. He runs and then he pouts. In both times, though, God pursues him for his purpose. And you may think that Jonah was a slow learner. You may think he was foolish. You may even think he was a, a bit of a jerk. I don't know how you would categorize him, but he certainly was someone who lacked divine perspective. He held some cultural prejudice. He was self-righteous. He had a list of wrongs, a little bit of a malicious motive, and he certainly had a bad attitude. But whatever was behind his desire for destruction, God still wanted something more and something better for Jonah and for Nineveh. And the same is true for you and I. Yet, Yet choosing to embrace anger, choosing to embrace hate is like jumping out of the bowl and still wanting to live. It's, it's problematic. We're not created for hate. And it's a space that none of us can breathe. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, we're reminded that if we claim to love God, yet we don't love our brother or sister, we're a liar. Specifically, John writes, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. We cannot love God and hate people. And you may be thinking, well, I don't, I don't hate people. I just dislike people, <laughs> especially people that are kind of mean, the people who are wrong in what they're doing, maybe people who are just selfish or simply not spiritually as mature as, as we are. And I hear you, and I get the temptation in that reality. But in those words, can you hear and see the similarity to what Jonah did and what he was saying? It doesn't go well. We can't seek God and his love and run from it at the same time. We cannot live into his purpose and resist it simultaneously. We can't want what he wants while wanting something else. It doesn't work that way. A.W. Tozer said, we cannot pray in love and live in hate and still think we are worshiping God. It puts us at odds with God. And it's the equivalent of Phineas jumping out of the bowl with the expectation that he will still live. It doesn't work out. And hear this. Listen, embracing hate is always a sign of spiritual drift, not spiritual growth. When we choose to embrace hate or even choose to embrace anger, it is always a sign of spiritual drift, not spiritual growth. 
Now, I get and understand that for Jonah, Nineveh was an enemy. The the city was an enemy city. It was a source of wrong and injustice for his people. And in that complexity, he opts out of God's authority in his life. He jumps. But I want you to hear that in every sin, in every sadness, in every wound, the Lord weeps first. He grieves first. He mourns first and he reaches first in love. He knows grief personally. So in your dynamic, don't jump. It never goes well. I I have had to take different moments and seasons in my life in a number of different sorrows and places of grief and have even wrestled with God in those dynamics about what he has done or not done in those spaces, especially the spaces of pain and loss. But whenever you and I bump into something that we struggle with, especially when it's rooted in sin, whether it's our sin or somebody else's sin, know that he sees it first. Know that God grieves it first. He knows it first. He reaches in love first. He's first. And every sin requires death, but you and I are not the executioner. Jonah thought he should have been. He got caught up in the complexity and jumping out of the bull, jumping out of relationship with God is foolish and it never works out. It doesn't go well. You know, the Lord may be speaking to you about a number of different things through this journey in Jonah. And I encourage you to continue to listen. He may be even asking you a question or two to help give you an answer or two. But as you process that, I want to really allow you to learn all you can out of what he's trying to say as we wrap up our journey in Jonah. And to help you do that, I want to invite you to consider a question. Where do you struggle to want what God wants? As you process the journey through Jonah, as you process your own life, where do you struggle to want what God wants? Maybe it's in a task, something he's asked you to do. Maybe it's in a space of of really relationship where you have an unhealthy relationship that he does not want, but you won't let it go. Or a healthy relationship he's asking you to step into that you're afraid to. Where do you struggle to want what he wants? Maybe it's in a space of forgiveness. Maybe a place of purity, public or private conduct in your life. Maybe it has something to do with sacrifice. Where do you struggle to want what God wants? He provides, he pursues, he eases comfort, he works in discomfort, yet Jonah ends up pouting in his journey. But he is one who had received mercy from God when he asked for it, yet he resents when it's extended to others. And we will all bump into things in life that we may struggle to accept, maybe even struggle to like or want in this journey. Even things that might be clearly right and good and true in the eyes of God. But the question is the same in any situation. Do you want what God wants? Do you want what he wants in that dynamic? You know, it's interesting for me, as I think about the entire story of Jonah, that everyone and everything obeyed God except Jonah. Everyone and everything consistently obeyed God. Even the Ninevites, once asked and invited, obeyed him. But Jonah did not. Everything, creatures, Creation, other people obeyed God, all but Jonah. 
And I wonder about you and me. What do you not want that God wants? Where do you struggle to want what he wants in grace and mercy toward another person? Maybe a space of sacrifice that can lead to growth. Or a place where he's asking you to sit and wait for an answer. Or wait in stillness to remember and hear him more clearly. Maybe to fully depend on him in a space of faithful risk, bold obedience, or some radical generosity. Where do you struggle to want what God wants? And if, if you're not wanting what he wants, are you're not quite there yet. Are you willing to be willing to be there? See, Jonah wasn't willing to get there. He had locked down. I don't know what happened after the last verse in the book of Jonah in his life, but at this point, he was choosing to be more like he was in chapter one and he was running rather than someone who would remain and be faithful. But I wonder about you and I. You may have had someone in your life mistreat you. You may have had somebody wrong you or someone you love. Whatever that was, it's cost you. It's been a place of pain and loss, and we all know of different losses in life, very real losses. But even in those moments, God sees divine opportunity. So don't blink. Don't lose focus. Don't don't jump. Lean into God. God sent Jesus into this world to be a healer, a rescuer, a redeemer, and a restorer. And our self-righteousness or our list of wrongs and our preferences can stand in the way of his purpose and his provision because he only uses his power for his purpose, not ours. Don't let disappointment lead to defiance where you no longer follow God. You're just simply trying to be God. Now, unlike the fish in Jonah, Phineas, I don't really think, cares what I say or necessarily wants what I want. But then again, I'm not God, and neither are you. Yet our God loves us enough to seek us out, to invite us into relationship. And he will work in us, or he will work in spite of us. But it always works better when we want what he wants. When we align our heart and our mind and our interests and our desires to him. Where we engage relationally with him through Jesus. Where we read the Bible. We spend time in prayer. But most importantly and critically, establish the relationship through Jesus. We recognize who Jesus is. We repent of the junk in our lives. And then we return into relationship and faithfulness to him. My prayer is that you would choose this day to want what he wants. And you will let him bring his power to bear in your life, whatever the circumstances are. Because he wants to do far more than we can ask or imagine when we walk in relationship to him through Jesus Christ. But that's a choice we all get to make. So don't blink today. And certainly don't jump. Lean in in love and trust for what can and will be in his son, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your pursuit. Thank you for bringing your power to bear in our lives for your purpose. May we be a people who want what you want so that you are glorified and that your will is done. I pray this in Jesus' name. Sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some.
This has been a great conversation as we've journeyed through the story of Jonah. And while that story may be familiar to some of us, it's our prayer for you that even in the midst of a familiar story, you encountered God in unexpected ways as he's revealed more of who he is, spoken to you about who you are, and as you've heard his invitation to step into thriving as never before. Even as Pastor Sean was talking today about how we're designed to thrive, we know that part of thriving means connecting with God in the ways that he's designed us to connect with him. It can be hard for some of us to know what those are. And so I encourage you, go to heritageqc.com and click on the blue banner on the homepage. That's an invitation to a spiritual pathways assessment. There, you'll find a brief survey of questions that if you answer them honestly, it'll give you great insight into how God designed you to connect with Him in deep and meaningful ways. Ways like maybe in nature or in silence and solitude. Maybe He designed you to be more studious or more active. Whatever it is, you can discover a little bit about who God made you to be and how He wired you to connect with Him. So again, head over to heritageqc.com right on the homepage and you can take that assessment. It takes about five or 10 minutes and it's well worth your time. In the next season in the life of Heritage, we're talking about seasons. The reality that the seasons are changing around us and every life has different moments in it where we experience opportunities and challenges, new things and old things all in different ways. As part of that conversation, we want to invite you to press in. Join us again in one of our spaces. Keep connecting where you are and expect God to speak uniquely and powerfully once again. As part of that journey, we're gonna be hearing from several members of the Heritage family about how God has journeyed with them through some of the toughest situations and circumstances in their lives. How God has proven himself faithful over and over again in many different kinds of seasons. We're confident that God is in this season in our world and in our lives, continuing to prove himself faithful and give us confidence in who he is. So you are not going to want to miss this conversation starting next week. We hope to see you in space, on TV, or online as we continue to receive all God has for us in these days. Have a great week. Hope to see you soon.